uh, I'm going to do my best to make haste because we have food afterwards and desserts uh, for you to purchase. But we are glad that you're here today here at Jackson Creek. As we continue our series, I want us to consider what it means and just continue to kind of drill into the idea of what it means to be a city on a hill. What it means is that Jesus Christ adopts us and he takes us and he makes us a singular people. And essentially what we're talking about is that God makes us into a church. And so he takes us, he makes us into a singular people, people with different backgrounds and traits. And he says, this is my people. And then we then become defined by something that transcends the commonalities, right? And I want to just say this today, and this would be something that if you're a tweeter, right, or if you throw things out on Facebook, this would be a good one. Listen, Jesus isn't a priority. Jesus is the priority, all right? Jesus isn't a priority. Jesus is the priority. And friends, I want to tell you today, those of us who who claim to know Jesus Christ, I want, to, I want you to just jot this down, because this is the heart of our pastors today. God didn't call us to be consumers. He called us to be committed followers of Jesus Christ. God did not call us to be consumers. He called us to be committed followers of Jesus Christ. Now, when we say that, now listen, I, I get it. There's a lot of people in the, in the, in the scriptures. There are people even now in our, in our day and age that use Jesus Christ as a means to an end. And so they'll follow Jesus so long as he does for them what they think they need in that moment. But if you truly follow Jesus, your heart has been transformed by the message of the gospel. So much so that your heart has been gripped by God's grace and Instead of just thinking of what you can get out of church or what you can get from Jesus, you are thinking how you can rearrange your life to such a degree that you, you leverage everything to make Jesus known in the world in which we live. And essentially, that's what it means to be a city on the hill. And in the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus does is he inverts to some degree what it means to follow him because in their day, they were most concerned about outward conformity rather than inward transformation. And so what Jesus is concerned about was not moral conformity. He was concerned about heart transformation. And if you, this morning, follow Christ, there should be a sense in which your heart is being transformed daily by the message of the gospel. See, for those of us who who claim to be the people of God, we are becoming a people whose lives are defined by and driven by the gospel. So when Christ calls us to sacrifice our lives for him in the mission of God, that makes sense to us. And it's it's an act of obedience, and it's not something that's over uh, overreaching for Jesus to ask that. Because when we look at the cross and we consider all that Jesus has done for us, that's the least that we can do in making Christ known. Now, in the Old Testament, there were 613 commands. There were 365 negative thou shalt nots. There were 248 positives thou shalts. And they judged how they were doing with God by how well well they obeyed the rules. And I want you to understand this morning 
Jesus didn't come to save us uh, by way of religion. He came to save us and redeem us and restore us and renew us by way of a relationship. So this morning, we can understand fundamentally that Jesus is after a relationship, not a bunch of rule keepers. Jesus is after a relationship, not a bunch of rule keepers. Now, what that means is this. We have a tendency as Christians to measure our spiritual maturity in a number of different ways. For some, maturity means that I know the Bible. Maturity means I I act a certain way, or I dress a certain way, or I do this thing, or I don't do this thing. And so to some degree, listen, we're not much different than the Pharisees in Jesus' day. Because we feel like as long as we keep the rules and maybe even have a quiet time every morning and attend church every week and put some money in the offering plate, and as long as we don't do any of the the major sins, you know, like, hey, I haven't murdered anyone this week, right? Like, I'm okay. But maturity in the kingdom of God doesn't terminate on a knowledge of the scriptures, but maturity in the kingdom, listen, is likeness to Jesus Christ. You guys with me? I'm just wondering. I know you guys are sad that it's an overcast today, right? But Jesus is here, and he wants us to respond to his word. Maturity doesn't terminate on a knowledge of the scriptures. It terminates, and it's matured when we are like Jesus Christ. And Jesus wants us to follow him so closely that our values transcends the world in which we live. Now, have you ever wondered, and and today we're going to talk about this. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, Jesus brings up one of those things. One of those areas that we tend to use as a metric for our religiosity and, our, and our, um, our, um, whether or not we're doing good when it comes to being a good Christian. One of those things is the area of adultery. And last week we talked about divorce and the week before that, anger. And now we're talking about lust. And so Jesus says in Matthew 5, 27, you've heard that it was said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you that everyone who looks at a woman with a lustful Intent has already committed adultery with his heart. Now, have you ever wondered, and I know we got kids in here today, but have you ever wondered why, to some degree, God made us so sexual? You ever wonder that? Why do we enjoy sex as much as we do? And and most do. I, I know there's some folks that don't, and, or some may be asexual or whatever, and there's different things that are going on, and, and as you get older, it becomes different. But to some degree, have you ever wondered why God made us so sexual, especially when it often seems to plague us with so much shame? And isn't there to some degree some shame attached to our sexuality? Isn't there some like weirdness or awkwardness or taboo, even talking about sexuality from a biblical perspective? And what we find in the Word of God is that God teaches us about what sexuality is supposed to be and what it, uh, how it's supposed to transpire. Now, for some of you this morning, and I can get to some degree why it's, why it's a little quiet in here this morning because you're wondering, A, where am I going? B, I got my kids in here. And three, please hurry up. We've got Papa John's on the way. Like, I get that. I get it. All right? But if you respond back to me, I will preach a lot quicker. All of God's people said? All right, we're close, right? Close. I need more. I need more. So 
Some of you this morning are like, man, I don't want to talk about lust. I don't want to talk about sexual purity. I don't want to talk about sexuality because this is a genuine struggle for me. It's been a struggle in my marriage. It's been a struggle in my life. It's like this monkey that I can't get off my back. And I want to just say to you this morning, sexual purity is a journey. It's about progress, not perfection. Okay? Sexual purity is a, it's a journey, and it's, it's about progress, not perfections. And, and I want to say to you today, too, that sometimes God gets a bad rap. Because I want you to understand today that God is pro-sex, right? God, listen, God created man, and he created female, and he created their anatomy, and he created the, the male and the female to enjoy one another in a covenant relationship after they have been married. And, and he wants us to enjoy that. And so I think sometimes God gets a bad rap when we talk about sexuality. In fact, I want you to understand today, God's not against sex, and God is not trying to rob you from any experience, and he's not trying to take away anything in regard to the gift of sexuality. In fact, God is the author of the gift. God is the creator of it, and he wants it. Listen, he wants it to be celebrated. We have a 13 and a 14-year-old in our home, and on a regular basis, we have conversations with them about sexuality. There's on a regular basis, I will ask my kids, have you seen pornography? Or what are the kids at school talking about in terms of sexuality? And listen, parents, I don't care if you send your kids to homeschool. I don't care if you send them to Christian school. I don't care if you go public school. Your kids will be exposed to sexuality at some point. And if you're, as the parent, are not willing to educate your children about what God's Word says about this topic, they will learn it, and they will likely learn it from the wrong places. And furthermore, they need to see a healthy, biblical sexuality expressed between a loving husband and a loving wife, a loving mom and a loving dad in the home, in a way that is appropriate according to God's standards. So I want you to understand this morning, God is very much about our sexuality. But I want you to notice something, and I think this is the big idea, and I think this is what Jesus is talking about in our text this morning, and it's this, be careful not to seek satisfaction in sex, seek it from the Savior. Seek it from the Savior. And there's so much this morning that could be said about this topic in Song of Solomon. It gives us teaching about the joys of sexuality. And Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, the Bible says that God made man, he made woman. And listen, the Bible says that they became one flesh. And the Hebrew term there means a mingling of souls. That the man and the woman, when they come together sexually, that their souls are actually intertwined uh, physically, emotionally, And spiritually, when you look in 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, you find that sexual sin is the one sin that actually has an impact on your mind, on your heart, on your physical body. It affects us to the core. And so, to some degree, Jesus wanted to talk to his people about this idea of sexuality, so much so that we have an understanding of it. Listen, as a city on a hill, that our value of sex transcends the culture in which we live. Are you guys with me? Because to some degree, we live in a, in a world today that is confused sexually. And what I want all of us to know this morning is this. You might struggle with your sexuality. There might be some of you here today that would say, hey, look, I'm attracted to the same sex, and we want you 
to know that this is a safe place for you to ask questions about what God's Word says about how He designed this particular area of your life. You might be here this morning and, and you may uh, uh, be uh, approaching some dangerous places in your life when it comes to the area of adultery, or you might be viewing things and looking at things that you know in your soul isn't right, but um, you continue to do it anyways. And while that might be your story and there's some failure there, we want you to move forward in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because God didn't come to basically restrain us. Listen, God has a design for the way in which the world is supposed to work. And when we live in that design, we find a greater, more abundant joy than trying to color outside the lines. Now, if I'm just being honest with you this morning, undoubtedly there's going to be some of you here today that have sexual baggage. There's no doubt that there's some folks in this room that have that. I would be in that grouping. I shared with our church several years ago about the sexual abuse that I experienced when I was a teenager. The church has to be, listen, please help me uh, with this today. The church has to be, we have to be a city on a hill. We have to be a, a place where people feel that it's safe to walk in their brokenness. Are you guys with me? There's a teenager in here today that's likely struggling with some pornography. There's a man in this room today that's struggling with sexual addiction. There might be an individual that's in this room today that's struggling with same-sex attraction, and they need to feel like it's safe to have a conversation with someone in this room. Hey, what does God think about this? Hey, what does the Word of God say? Hey, is there any hope for someone like me? And I'm going to tell you this morning, for years, I struggled with this. Struggled with guilt. I struggled with shame. And, and, and in so doing that, the process to heal and to become whole and to become holy and like Jesus took so much longer in particular because there's so much taboo and guilt and shame attached to our sexuality. And God doesn't want it to be that way. And that's why he addresses it in the word of God. So this morning, I think we would all wholeheartedly say, that ignoring God's design on sexuality is a sin, and we want you to know that hope is available if you want to be free from those struggles. And what we want you to first notice in verses 27 and 28, which I just read a moment ago, is this. We want you to identify the struggle for purity. We want you to identify that. And I want you to understand something about the struggle for purity. Because the struggle for purity is actually a good thing. Because sexual purity is just that. Please write this down. The struggle for sexual purity is just that. It's a struggle. Are you with me? It, it's exactly what it is. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not struggling with your sexual purity and you just continue to give in to your lusts, you've already given up and waved the white flag and you are going to become a person that you will in, in, in soon uh, order begin to hate and loathe. I'm telling you this morning, defeat comes when you give in and you disregard God's design for this area of your life. And so, sexual desire, and I want to say this today, sexual desire, I'm just letting you guys know, I can't see the clock back there, so I'm going to go till I'm done, alright? Sexual desire and sexual arousal isn't a sin. Are you with me? I, I mean... I would hope one day that my two girls, 13 and 14, that they have an attraction to boys. I, I just, I, I want to celebrate that. 
One day. I mean, like, when they're 35, right? I hope, they, I hope that happens for them. And I, I want them to celebrate the beauty that, um, that they can experience with, with uh, a significant other that they're in a marriage covenant with. And, and I, I want them to feel safe to talk to me or their mother about those particular issues and to ask questions um, and, and then to go back to the Word of God. And if it's not me, a trusted friend or counselor that would use and anchor their words to the Word of God. So sexual sin or our sexual desire and sexual arousal, that's not a sin. Are you guys with me? Because I grew up in an environment where you were taught that if, if you were uh, aroused, that alone was the sin. And being aroused sexually is not a sin. It's what you do with that arousal. Now, it's a gift. And it's a gift to be directed into God's design uh, for our expressing it in, in sexuality and marriage. So let's begin with this. What does the word lust actually mean? All right, what does it mean? What is the meaning of the word? Now, the Greek word lust in this text is epithomia. It's, it, it's a word that's not porinia, which we get a, a sexual desire from, but it's a word that means to long for, to desire, or to crave. It's what we would describe as, it would be an inordinate affection, something that I set my heart on and I continually obsess about, and I, I desire it and I, I, I crave it, to such a degree that I began to plan and plot and move forward with a path to take something that God has not given to me personally. You guys with me? I'm going to take it. It's, and so the idea here isn't so much a sexual urging. It's the idea is covetousness. It's taking what is not mine. It's not about, and listen, Jesus isn't talking necessarily here about having adultery. It's about what Jesus is getting at in the heart of this text isn't so much about adultery as it is where do you personally find your satisfaction? Where do you find it? It's a gospel issue. Where do you find your treasure? And we're going to talk about that here in just a moment. Another way to look at this is from the standpoint of covetousness. It's a desire to want something that is not yours and taking it, that's the sin. And so anything anything where you create an alternate reality than the one you're walking in with a sexually lustful or emotionally lustful attitude towards what is not yours, that is what Jesus is talking about in this passage of Scripture. So, ultimately, it's desiring something to satisfy our soul to the degree that we're to be satisfied in Christ alone. Are you guys with me? It's looking for something to satisfy my soul to the degree that only Christ is supposed to satisfy me. Now, I say this all the time. What's broken in your life cannot be fixed by sex, pleasure, money, success, or anything else. All those gifts that God gives us were never intended to fix the brokenness of our soul. Only Jesus can do that. Getting married will not fix your brokenness. Getting married will not repair your your sexual addiction, it will only expose it. Christ alone is the one that satisfies the brokenness and the neediness of our souls. And so Jesus is like, look, I'm not here to tell you not to commit adultery. I'm here to tell you to be on guard for the lustfulness that's in your heart. And so we understand the meaning, but now the motive. The motive. Our biggest problems lurk inside of us. They're not the result of a culture that has gone sexually insane. Sex exposes our heart and our motives. And so 
so much of our sexuality is distorted by a view of sex that treats it as ultimate. Now, sex is great when it's done right in a covenant between a husband and a wife. There is, there is a, a pleasure to that. There is a joy to that that is to be celebrated, but it's not ultimate. You know why? Because Christ alone is supreme. Christ alone can satisfy. He's the only one that offers satisfaction to those who worship and obey him. Listen, lust isn't an avoidance issue. It's an issue of affection. You write, write that down. Lust isn't an issue of avoidance, but of affection. This is an issue of worship and allegiance. So, so like, for instance, let's say this morning you struggle with some area of sexual addiction, whether it's mental, whether it's uh, on the web, or whether it's a coworker at work that things have kind of gone too far. The issue for you then is not necessarily of avoidance. Avoidance might be good, but it tends to be that when we set up rules or borders, we tend to find a way around those rules and around those borders to get what we want anyways, don't we? Like this past week, I'll just be honest with you, all cards on the table. Super quiet because you guys are wondering what I'm about to confess. I was like, babe, I'm committing. This is the week. I'm going to eat good this week. I did. I told her that. I'm gonna eat, I, I did all, all week this, all the way up until last night. I mean, I was feeling good. Stopped drinking pop. For, got through the headaches, the hangover, the withdrawal. You would have thought I was coming off of heroin, right? It was bad, you know. Night sweats, tremors, nightmares. I mean, the whole works. And last night we get home and there wasn't anything to eat in the house. And we had Chick-fil-A catered to the church yesterday and we had some left over. And so last night I went home, two Chick-fil-A sandwiches, two bags of chips, two cookies, a Diet Pepsi, and a glass of milk. Can I get a witness? Because my, my goal, listen, my goal was to avoid that stuff. But avoidance alone isn't going to repair what my heart truly loves and has an affection for. Sexual purity begins in the heart with a love for God that overwhelms all other loves that battle for allegiance of the heart. So, obedience is more than just a a set of behaviors. It's an attitude. It's an attitude of the heart. It's an attitude of the heart. Purity starts by confessing your profound need that you're unable to change what needs to be changed. And this isn't about regimen. It's about relationship. I'm not against the regimen. I'm not against the rules. I'm not against the avoidance. But if the relationship with Jesus Christ isn't where it's supposed to be, the rules will not last. The avoidance will not take effect because eventually your affections will win the day. And if your heart isn't truly treasuring Jesus, and if your heart doesn't truly have an affection for the one that has redeemed your soul, you will eventually fail. And that's the motive. And so... Jesus goes on in this passage, and in verse 29, he says, all right, let's deal with this. How do we deal with it? He says, look, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. And so Jesus then begins to talk not just about the struggle, But he talks about the seriousness of purity. 
And so Jesus describes to his disciples that this is a serious issue for your soul. It's very serious. And he's using hyperbole to get the message across. Now, before you go home this week and, and become a pirate, and, and, and you, you pluck out your eye and you come back next week with a hook, you guys with me? That'd be super weird and very cultish if you do that, all right? So next week, if you come back and you're like, I'm pure, you know, not a win for the kingdom, all right? <laughs> It'd be funny, and I'd be like, God bless you. Let me pray for you. What does Jesus mean? Jesus is saying, look, this isn't just about sexual purity. Please note this today. It's not just about sexual purity. It's about where you find satisfaction. And what Jesus is saying, listen, if there is anything that you see that causes you to seek satisfaction outside of me, pluck out your eyes. You with me? If you see anything that causes you to seek out satisfaction other than me, pluck out your eyes. Or if there's anything that causes you to reach out for satisfaction, then cut your hand off. So he's using a, an illustration there to remove the things from our life that would cause us to seek satisfaction in anything other than him. Ultimately, what we find in this, this text is this, is that Jesus is calling us to a, a, it's a serious call to action. In fact, Jesus is so serious about how corrosive lust will be to your joy, to your ability to, to, to connect with one another, and your ability to feel intimacy at the level that he created you to feel intimacy with your spouse, that he says, pluck out your eye and cut off your arm. And friends, I'm telling you today that sexual sin will destroy the good things in your life that God has given to you. And take it from me, I'll be the first one to tell you that it will destroy and, and it will cause you to have emotional and sexual and even spiritual baggage in your life if you don't move forward in the good news of the gospel. And so what we find is the seriousness. Jesus is like, look, this is kind of a big deal. And so what Jesus is saying here is, look, let's be serious about the life of your mind. Let's be serious about that. Let's be, let's be serious about the intent of your eyes. Let's be serious about where you glance or about what you think about or where you dwell and and about where you let your mind and your heart go. And I think a big part of who we are is where do our minds wander when we have nothing to think about. Proverbs says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. It says to, uh, he says in Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart with all uh, vigilance or diligence for out of it are the wellsprings of life. In Corinthians, Paul says, take captive every thought and bring it to the obedience of Jesus Christ. There is a seriousness in which all of us, listen, not just in the area of of sexual purity, but in the area of our lives as we follow Jesus, there's a serious call to action that we might guard our hearts and our minds so that our affections are full on for Jesus Christ. That's the issue. That's what Jesus is getting at when he talks about anger. That's what he gets at when he's talking about divorce. That's what he's talking about when he's, 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 he's calling us to purity in this issue of lust. And he's going to talk about it in retaliation. And he's going to talk about it in the way that we love our enemies. It's about where our affections lie. And this morning, if you don't have strong affections for Jesus Christ, you will be pulled in every direction 
that this world offers you because you will be seeking a satisfaction that you will never find unless you find it in Jesus Christ. Seriousness. So what are the steps? And I, I kind of, I don't enjoy using this word because it makes you think that if I do these three things, then I'm going to find freedom. But I said it this way, steps in the struggle, air quotes there, to a pure life. You know, our pastors don't want, we listen, our, none of our pastors here today, I'll just be the first to tell you, and I, I'm the first one out of the gate. None of your pastors are perfect in any area. We struggle with lust. We struggle with anger. Um, we struggle with pride and ego. There's so many different things that all of us struggle with. But not one of our pastors wants any one of you, regardless of the issue of your life, to walk in shame. We don't want you to walk in unnecessary guilt. Because listen, Jesus Christ died to set you free from your sin. He died to set you free from your struggles. And anything that holds you in bondage and uh, withholds the joy that Christ has for you. Listen, God doesn't want you walking in that. He wants you walking in His love and the freedom that He offers to those who follow Him and obey His word. And so so when we think about the steps, what we find even in this passage of Scripture here, is that God is inviting us to the renewal of our minds, not the reigning in of our desires. God is inviting us in to the renewal, the renewal of our minds, not the reigning in of our desires. And one of the things that we say around here quite often is this, is it's okay not to be okay. It's okay. Some of you are angry, and you've got issues that you need to deal with. Some of you have lustful hearts, and not just towards the opposite sex, but you just, you have lustful hearts, like you're just a covetous person, and you're always, you know, wanting what other people have, and that that needs to be dealt with, and on, some of you are gossips, like you just, you love to hear the latest news of how someone else is struggling in their marriage, or how they had a financial setback, or uh, how they got a flat tire on the road, and you're like, <laughs> you know, it's just, like that's your thing, you just love it when other people find catastrophe, and you're like, ah, they deserved it. You know, like that's just your thing. Listen, it's okay not to be okay. But Jesus came so that you didn't have to stay that way. Jesus came. He came to transform us from the inside out so that as we follow him so closely that our lives and our values and our hearts are transformed by the sweetness and the power of the gospel. And I don't care if you're 10 or you're 100. If you're drawing breath this morning, you're a person, you're a pilgrim on a progress you're you're a pilgrim on a journey you're growing and changing or you should be and if you're not oh my word please question the sincerity of your relationship with jesus this morning your standing with god is never based on the degree of purity of your heart your hands but on the perfect life that christ lived for your sake and some of you this morning your lives are broken your marriage is falling apart your finances are out of order um your, your heart is just polluted, polluted with a sexuality that is, that is far from the Word of God. And some of you this morning genuinely are in a place of brokenness and you're just like, I don't think there's any hope for me. And this morning your standing with God is not based on how well you did, it's based on what Jesus did 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary. And it's from that foundation that we find hope to continue to move forward in the process of becoming more like Jesus Christ. 
And I'm tired, I'm tired of hearing folks talk about this issue of sexuality in such a way that it's, that it's final for those who have struggled with it. Because it's not final. In fact, when you own the reality that you have a problem, that's the first step of really getting help in your life. And how do we do that? Number one, I think you just need to pursue Jesus. One of the things that I found in my counseling over the years in the areas that I struggle in, not just in terms of sexuality, but in many of the areas that I struggle with is this. I'm very good at keeping the rules, but I'm not that great at having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when I begin to live a life that's, that's, that's structured and rigid and, and so focused on doing what is right at the expense of just really crawling up into the lap of Christ and finding his forgiveness and his grace and his presence to be what I need, I struggle in ways that I don't have to when I do that. So the first step is this, is to pursue Jesus. The problem is your heart, and only Christ can transform that. Walking with Jesus in a vibrant, growing, passionate relationship will be the very thing that will change you fundamentally on the inside and will have an impact on the outside. Friends, I want to tell you this morning, your desires were intended to be met by going deeper in a relationship with Jesus, not keeping a bunch of rules. And I know for a bunch of Baptists, that just sounds crazy. Because we think that if we scare our kids, you know, with STDs, and we scare them with addiction, and we scare them with all of these different things. Like, if you do this, this is going to happen. If you do this, and, and we sensationalize the consequences of sin, that that will be the deterrent that will keep them from making bad choices in their life. And listen, Christ is better than fear-mongering. Teaching them that God loves them. That God has a plan for them. That God has a unique purpose for their life and that he has saved them and he has redeemed them and he has set them aside for his purpose and he has called them his people will be what keeps them safe in life as they engage the culture in which we live. So if you're struggling in this area, listen, please, if you're struggling this morning in an area of sexuality, Please understand this today. It's not an impediment to you knowing God. I think sexual sin is one of those things that when we fall sexually, there's such a cloud and such a a guilt and shame that surrounds it that we're like, oh man, I've got to start over at the ladder of Christianity and climb. And listen, friends, there's no ladder because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And we are all a broken people and we all have needs from Christ, and they are all met in His atonement when He shed His blood for us on the cross. So it's not an impediment. It's not like 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary, He knew that you were going to click on what you clicked on last night. He knew that you were going to struggle emotionally in your relationship with your spouse. He knew that you were going to go too far with your boyfriend and with your girlfriend. He, He knew that you were going to make choices that you shouldn't make And yet, He loved you, and He died for you, and He called you, and He has a plan for you. Man, the richness of God's love is so immeasurable that we can't even fathom it. 
And so it's not an impediment. In fact, when you think about the story of the prodigal son, if I were that dad, I would have said, no, nah, you can live out in the barn for a while. Many of you don't know the story of the prodigal son, but he basically asked his dad for his inheritance, and he wasted it. He wasted it on hookers and prostitutes and partying with a bunch of friends, and he ended up uh, living in a pigsty, eating slop, when he could have been dining at the father's table. And eventually, one day, he woke up in his sin, and the prodigal son said, I would be better off as a servant in my father's home than living with these pigs. And he goes home, and here's the amazing part of the story. Every day, the father would sit on the balcony, and he would look out every day. I wonder if my boy's coming home today. I wonder if my boy's coming home today. And when he saw that his son was coming home, it wasn't normal that a Jewish man would do this. But he jumped off the balcony. And this would have been an embarrassing thing, a humiliating thing for him to do, especially when his son demanded his inheritance. He runs to his son. Jewish men didn't run anywhere. He runs to his son. He embraces him. He gives him a robe, he gives him his ring, and he says, kill the fatted calf because my boy is home. That's the very same grace that you will be met with the moment that you come home to the Father. That's the gospel, my friends. That's what Christ is offering all of us this morning that are living in the pig swine. So pursue Jesus. Pursue community. Please note that sin always grows in isolation. Walk in community with other believers who know you and they know your walk with Jesus and they grow in that personally and, and, and with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen, we must be a people, a city on a hill, marked by confession and repentance. Jay Stringer in his book Unwanted said, lust blooms in the soil of disengagement. And I'm going to tell you something today. There are some of you today that need to walk in community because you're struggling with anxiety. You're struggling with fear. You're struggling with gossip. You're struggling with bitterness and unforgiveness. Some of you this morning are struggling in the area of sexuality, and you think all these issues are just going to go away. Listen, one of the reasons that I've made any progress in life is because I've walked in community with my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. It's not easy sometimes when, when a brother calls you out on your stuff. Can I get an amen? It's not easy. And we have this tendency to live self-righteously with a veneer that, hey, everything in my life is perfect and I follow Jesus Christ so closely and I'm this great Christian, when in reality on the inside there's an emptiness to our soul and we know there's more to life, but we can't find the way. And the way that we do that is when we live in life together, when we do community together, when we, when we lean into each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And somebody's like, well, you know, I don't really like going to growth group. I don't get a lot out of it. Well, guess what? It might not be for you. It might be for that other brother and sister in Christ. And, and that experience that you've gone through might be the very thing they need to help strengthen their faith. Several years ago, I was going through severe burnout. I mean, I was burned out tired emotionally and spiritually. I was in counseling. My wife and I were struggling in our marriage, and on Tuesday nights, we would go to growth group, and I would remember I, I was in Clint's group. I wasn't leading group, and Tracy was in my group, and I'd come, and I'd just sit in the couch, man. I just, it was everything I had. I'm just being honest with our church today to get through Sunday morning, but I'd go to group on Tuesday nights, and over time, people started to 
indirectly speak faith into my life. Over time, I began to share some of the struggles that we were having. I began to share some of the struggles that I was having. And I found that I could be open and that I could share with them my sin and my struggles and my fears and my anxiety. And listen, God did a work of growing my faith and allowing me to be more like Jesus Christ. Now, if you follow me around for a week, you're going to be like, man, he's not much like Jesus. I get that. But I'm moving at least in the right direction. And I'm moving in the right direction in part because I'm willing to make Jesus not a priority, but the priority. And that means that I rearrange my schedule so that I can serve Christ, but so that I can also be in community with other brothers and sisters in Christ who hold me accountable to the way in which I'm living. Because listen, when you get close to people, they begin to see the real you. And some of you, you don't want to get close to people because you don't want them to see your anger. You don't want them to see your unforgiveness. You don't want them to see your selfishness. You don't want to see them, them to see your, your broken sexuality. You, don't want, you just want things to go on as normal. And I'm going to tell you here this morning, you can play that game for a short period of time, but it won't be long before the bottom falls out. Lust blooms in the environment of disengagement. And then I'm going to say this, pursue wisdom. Pursue wisdom. You're going to have to get smart and knowledgeable about your heart. I know for me, I have three triggers for sin in my life. Sin. Stress. Stress is one. Loneliness is another. And then boredom. And I found that most people struggle. And uh, I had someone share this with me this week, and, and I read a book called Unwanted by Jay Stringer. One of the reasons people struggle with pornography addiction or addiction in, in really any realm is because they lack purpose in life. They don't feel like they have a true purpose. They don't feel like... Their life is significant and there is meaning. But I'm telling you all, please, I'm telling you this morning, when you follow Jesus, he gives you meaning and significance and purpose. He gives you a reason to live for something that is greater and transcends anything this world has to offer. And I'm pleading with you this morning, all that you would make him the priority of your life. Knowing this helped me make progress in several areas. You're going to have to run from situations and locations that play to your weaknesses. I want to talk to our students today. When you think about it, I mean, sometimes we can be kind of just foolish, right? You guys with me? And I'm going to tell you, don't hang out with your girlfriend at 11 o'clock at night with your pajamas on and go watch a movie. All right? Probably not a good idea. There's just certain situations that you're just like, yeah, that's probably not going to be a win for us tonight. How about this? Get covenant eyes. Some of you, um, you know, listen, some of you are scared of the Internet, and I get that. And some of you just, you don't need to have a smartphone. You need to hit it with a hammer, and you need to get a flip phone. Go old school, right? Maybe that doesn't, get a bag phone. I don't know. But some of you, you know, listen, get covenant eyes for your phone and, and, and have someone that you can be accountable to. Again, that's a rule to help rein in the desire. But if you don't have that relationship with Jesus that we initially talked about, again, there's no hope. You'll find a way around that. But even if you don't struggle, get covenant eyes. I've got it for both of my girls. And I get a report every single week about what they look at. And some weeks I've had one of the kids that comes back, check in with your kid. And I check in, what are you, what are you looking at? You know, what are you reading? You know, and so um, do that. You, hey, listen, use wisdom. Because this is a serious call to action. 
So when we think about this, sexual purity is a journey. It's about progress, not perfection. For many today, sex, lust, and pornography has become something in your life that you seek to satisfy your heart when you're lonely, when you're angry, or even when you're bored. And you seek those things out to feel good. You, you do that to experience connection and pleasure, but you know deep inside, listen, some of you are lusting, pursuing things sexually that you know you shouldn't because you want to feel connection. You want to feel in control. And the one thing you're seeking is the very thing you're forfeiting in your life that Christ wants to offer you if you just follow him. Some of you here today, you might be flirting with a coworker because your spouse has seemingly lost interest. I was teasing with Clint this week. I work with him, and so I'm like, hey, I'm not going to flirt with you this week, all right? Don't be flirting with me. That's weird. Don't do that. But some of you are doing that. You, you like the attention. You like the emotional. You like it when you go to work and that the, the secretary says, well, what a great job on this project. And then you go home and you try to load the dishwasher. And your, your wife's like, you didn't do it right, you know. And I'm like, be thank God I did it, you know, right? So many, so many areas there. Hey, listen, some students today might be taking things too far with their significant other. I want to tell our young people desire is good. It's a gift but only when we express it in God's design. So I go back and I loop back around to what we said initially, and that's this. Be careful not to seek satisfaction in sex. Seek it from the Savior. This morning as we conclude the service, I'm going to ask John and our worship team to come, but I want to encourage you to reach out for Christ. That's what the passage is talking about. Reach out for what really satisfies, and that's Jesus. Seek out. The very thing that will satisfy your soul. And listen, that is Jesus. Find in Him what will truly satisfy the longing of your soul. Find that in Jesus Christ. And this morning, in a moment, we're going to ask you all to stand and we're going to sing this song, All I Have is Christ. And friends, that is a true testimony of the follower of Jesus this morning. Because nothing in this world will fill your soul like Jesus Christ. With every head bowed and every eye closed, how many of you say to me this morning, Pastor, I know for certain that I'm a follower of Christ. I know I'm forgiven. I'm right with God. And I know that heaven is my home. Would you lift your hand and let me pray for you this morning? Is there anyone that's in here today that would say to me, Pastor, I'm not certain that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I don't know that heaven's my home. I don't know that I'm right with God. Would you pray for me? Is there anyone that's like that that's in here today? Just let me pray with you this morning. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Let me just pray with you today. Now, is there anyone here today that say, Pastor, man, I'm really struggling. I'm in this struggle that you're talking about today. And if I were being honest with God and honest with myself, I need you to pray for me. Would you lift your hand? Just let me. No one's looking around. I see your hand. Yes, yes. Anyone else? Let me pray for you. Anyone else? I don't anticipate really a ton coming forward in the altar because everyone's going to think like, well, he's really messed up. But I'm going to tell you this morning, it'd probably be a good thing if you did. It might be a good thing if you grab your wife or your husband by the hand before anything, you know, horrible does happen, that you just grab him and say, hey, God, continue to help us to live in a way that's honoring to you. God, grab, grab your kids by the hand this morning and say, hey, I want to pray for you that God keeps you pure, that you 
understand God's design for this thing called sex. And I, I want you to feel safe talking. Grab your kids. Build that relationship with them to such a degree that they're willing and open to talk to you about those areas of their life. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for Jesus Christ. I want to thank you for your love for us, your, your goodness and your grace. I'm, I'm thankful, God, that you don't guilt us and you don't shame us. But you're like the father in the story of the prodigal son. You run out to meet us. You cover our sin. You establish us in righteousness. And you throw a party when we come home. And there's some this morning that need to come home. There's some this morning that need to confess and forsake and find mercy. And I pray that that might be their story here today. We ask these things in Jesus' name.